You know, I often think about faith because it's, it's a word that everybody can relate to. And as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, when I'm thinking about faith, I like to ask myself questions like, what is the most compelling reason to trust God? And I'm going to give you kind of a cliche answer, but under the surface, there's a lot more depth to it. For me, over the last five years, I'm going to share a little bit of my story with you guys. The most compelling reason to trust God for me is because he loves me. Now, I know that sounds trite. I know that sounds cliche uh, in the church or as Christians or what have you. But God loving us is not just some trite, cliche word or phrase that we use in Christianity. It means this. Every single day, God is looking out for our highest good. And God's plans and desire for our life, even through the challenges and unknowns and difficulties, is your highest good. God always desires my highest good. And God always desires your highest good. And we're going to learn that this morning from the life of Abraham. Abraham, known as the father of faith, probably the most important representative illustration of faith of all Old Testament characters. And he lived a challenging life. There was a lot of unknowns, a lot of difficulties, a lot of questions, just like us, just like the lives that we live in a broken world. And yet he trusted God. I want to share a little bit about my story as we preface this text this morning. 10 years ago, in 2018, or 2008, not in 2018. 10 years ago, uh, my wife and I moved from Maui, Hawaii, which was awesome. <laughs> and uh, we moved to Eugene, Oregon, which rains a lot. So weather-wise was not awesome. It's a college town. <laughs> it's a college town. It's where University of Oregon is. Uh, it's basically a sports town. It's Nike town. Phil Knight builds all the cool buildings and gives hundreds of millions of dollars every year to the, to, uh, the city and, and the uh, college and the sports teams in particular. So it's a cool city. And we went there to plant a church. I'd never been there before. Uh, and yet I just felt a burden to plant a church in a college city that didn't have a lot of churches, uh, particularly the type of churches that we wanted to start. So we rented an apartment. We invited a couple people to a Bible study, and we started a Bible study in our living room. Within three months, there was 90 college students in our apartment. Some had to sit in kitchen sink because it was so packed. It was crazy. And I remember those early days, like, like month one, like there's a couple people coming, and, and I was like, God, how does this work? Like, how do you plant a church and you've never been to the city and you really don't know anyone, and how is this gonna work out? And so uh, after three months, I was like, okay, God, you're gonna do something here. I didn't know the extent of what God would do, and we kept plotting away first year, second year, third year, fourth year, fifth year. By the end of year five, there was 2,000 people and two multiple campuses in really a smaller city uh, with all kinds of college kids getting baptized and discipled and coming to follow Jesus. It was quite incredible. And, you know, people look at something like that, a story like that, 
from the outside and they say, wow, I want that, but there's a lot of hardship in between, under the surface of growing a, a, a church like that anywhere. But nevertheless, it was exhilarating, exciting. It was profound. Like we were just blown away. We were on this fast moving train. We were working 70, 80 hours a week, week in and week out, uh, just, just trying to keep up with this growing church. So the first five years, that, that was kind of the story. At year five, January, uh, my wife got in a car accident. Now, just to backtrack, to give you a little context, she was in an accident when we were dating, uh, and she was almost paralyzed. Uh, she lost feeling on, on the left side of her body. She had major surgery, and it took her some years to recover from that. And she got in another car accident, and it changed our whole life. The last five years for us has been my wife uh, in and out of hospitals and therapy and surgeries and getting diagnosed with some very, very serious uh, uh, diagnoses as far as her body and all that's wrong with her. And uh, in May, no, March of this year, I went to Israel. I took a uh, bunch of people from our church to Israel on a tour. I came back, and in April, we received a life-changing diagnosis. My wife was diagnosed with a, a serious progressive brain condition, and we really were shocked. We didn't know what to do. She already has so many uh, uh, medical issues um, related to her car accidents, and now we received this diagnosis. We were shocked. We were heartbroken. We didn't know what to do, what to think, even how to process it. And a couple months later, I went on sabbatical. Within the first week of going on sabbatical, I knew that we couldn't live in Eugene any longer. She had been receiving medical care in Southern California for a number of years, her surgeries, her recovery, uh, because of the doctors uh, being really, uh, really good in their field. Um, better than Eugene. If you've been to Eugene, you understand this. Um, and so I just knew that it was time to move on. And so uh, I wrote my resignation letter to this church that we've poured all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our time and energy the last 10 years in. We love with all of our heart, but I knew without a doubt, I didn't have a plan. I didn't know what was next, but I knew without a doubt that this is exactly what God wanted us to do. So for the last three, four months, we have been wandering, <laughs> vacationing, resting, relaxing, uh, trying to understand her condition and understand how to function within that context. And really, I'm at a point where there's a lot of unknown. I know without a doubt that I did the right thing, that we made the right decision. I have absolute peace in my soul, but there's a lot of unknown. And these are the points in life where there's a lot of unknown that you either can trust God or not trust God. And I feel like this story this morning, there's so much relatability to my life presently and possibly a lot of relatability to many of your lives here in the city of Los Angeles. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. When you're there, say, ready. Ready. Hebrews 11, verse 8. Notice how he picks up. He begins to introduce Abraham in this series of illustrations about faith. He says this, 
By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Abraham had faith to leave in the midst of unknown. Notice this phrase, by faith, Abraham obeyed. The term here actually means to follow instructions. God spoke to Abraham. They're in a relationship at this point. God spoke to Abraham and he says, here's what I want you to do. And Abraham listened to God. That's the idea here. He listened to God and then he followed God's instructions. Abraham listened to God and acted upon God's instructions by faith. And it's interesting uh, if you're to take this back to the Old Testament because the idea of listening or hearing in Hebrew, the Hebrew uh, language, which is the language of the Old Testament, the original language, it literally has the idea of obedience. Not just hearing what somebody is saying like I'm comprehending your communication, but I'm listening in the sense that God, I'm hearing you and I'm going to act upon what you're telling me to do. So he obeyed God. Abraham is the ultimate example of Old Testament faith. He heard God, he trusted God, and he acted upon what God told him to do. Let's take some, I want you to take some note of some foundational truths about faith before we get into this story. First of all, uh, write this down. Faith is a relationship. Faith is a relationship. And that relationship, in our context, is a relationship with Jesus. Faith is not just something we do or something we uh, say. Faith is embedded in a relationship with Jesus Christ. So it's not a statement we make. Faith is not a personal statement like, okay, I'm going to move here. Look at me. I'm making a statement of faith. That's not how we should conceptualize faith as followers of Jesus. Like, oh, every time, like, uh, you know, I... Uh, act in faith, it's a personal statement. No, it's a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ rescued me, redeeming my life, giving me hope, leading my life, and I trust him in a relationship each step of the way. We have faith in a person. We do not have faith in faith. Like sometimes, like, faith is a buzzword in culture, right? Right? And we hear about faith in different aspects of culture and whether it's uh, in Christianity or outside of Christianity, people talk about faith, but we don't have faith in faith. We have faith in a person and his name is Jesus Christ. We trust him. It's in a relationship with him that we walk by faith, that we uh, act in faith, that we obey what he tells us to do. Faith means we follow Jesus. And that's essentially what Abraham did. Abraham obeyed or he followed what God told him. And so as we have faith in this relationship with Jesus, we follow him in a lifelong relationship. And so faith is not just a point in time. Faith is a progression. It's a lifelong continuum. It's something we do each and every day in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so the choices we make in faith are based on our relationship. And I guess the question that is exposed in this text this morning is, do we trust God with the unknown? 
Do I trust God when I know I need to make a decision and yet I don't know what the future holds? I don't know what's gonna happen next. I don't know what's taking place in my life past this point and this decision I have to make. For example, if God was asking you this morning to get out of an unhealthy, ungodly relationship, would you trust him? Would you make that decision by faith knowing that it's something you're attached to. It's something that, that is comfortable. It's something that you're used to. It's something that in some parts you desire, but you know it's not what God has for your life. It's, you know it's not the relationship God wants you to be in. Would you trust him? Would you act upon that by faith? Abraham did. And in fact, we see this story because the roots of this story in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, check this out. Look at the actual context and the plot line of this story. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. You can turn back there. When you're there, say, so ready. All right. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. I do that, guys, so I'm sorry if you're an introvert. I'm an introvert, too. Uh, Chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, God spoke to him, go. Can you imagine this? Okay, like this is the first time God's ever spoken to me and God's like, go. Go from your country and your kinsmen and your father's house to a land that I will show you. One day, God shows up in Abraham's life. His former name was Abram. God changed his name to Abraham because it had significance as the father of faith. But God spoke. There was divine revelation. Abraham was 75 years old at this time. He lived, according to Genesis chapter 25, verse 7, he lived to 175. Things were a lot better then. People live longer. So he was a middle-aged man. And a lot of people don't know this about Abraham, but he was really wealthy. He had, he had everything going for him. He was super prosperous. And his family business brought security and identity to his life. So here's a man, he's super wealthy and has all kinds of security. And suddenly the word of the Lord came to him. And notice what God says. He says, go. Halak in Hebrew, it means, it's a command. He's like, God's like, literally, go. I want you to leave all of this. Notice what he was leaving. Number one, go from your country. Abraham was to leave his country, his region of dwelling. Second, go from your kinsmen. What's that? Like, Abraham was to leave his relatives, his clan, his friends, all the people that he was related to, connected to. Then third, go from your father's house. Abraham was to leave his father's house, which was a big deal. It was more than just like like us in our American culture where we're like, I can't wait to leave home. Like, I can't wait to go to college. I can't wait to build my own life in a new city. Like, it wasn't like that back then. Your father's house was your domain of security. It was your identity in that culture. So to leave your father's house meant you were leaving your security and your identity and your inheritance. Remember what I said, he was rich. 
So imagine being Bill Gates' son or daughter. And God's like, go. I want you to leave your security, your identity, and millions and millions and millions of dollars. Uh, to be honest, we would all like be like, uh, maybe not. Like, seriously, God, like, I got to weigh this out. Like, give me a couple months here. Like, this is not an easy decision. And I'm sure it wasn't an easy decision for Abraham. God says, go. And then it gets even more interesting. Notice what he says in chapter 12, verse 1. Go to a land that I will show you. Uh, God, at least tell me where I'm going. Like, this is crazy. You're asking me to leave everything, but you're not even telling me where I'm going. God's like, no, uh, the land that I'm going to show you is not yet revealed, but I want you to start moving in faith. It's an unknown land. Faith, listen to this, faith consists of trusting God with the unknown. Or else it wouldn't be faith, right? Right, amen? Like, if we knew the whole plot line, the whole story of our lives, every bend, every turn, every uh, mountain peak, every valley, uh, we wouldn't be trusting God. We would know it all. We would be planning for it. There'd be no need to trust. But God gives us twists and turns sometimes, or life gives us twists and turns. And in the midst of that, we got to trust God with the unknown. So, He had faith to leave. Then notice, back to uh, the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 9. Not only did he have faith to leave, but he had faith to journey. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. So not only by faith Abraham obeyed, but by faith he went He went, this term went means living in a place without holding citizenship. Interesting. So he goes to a foreign land. He inhabits a place in a foreign land, just a plot of land, and he lives in tents. This was a journey for Abraham. He travels to this land. He takes a few of his descendants. He's a foreigner. He does not take possession of this land at this time. God's like, okay, I'm going to take you to a land. It's going to be the land of all your descendants, but you're not going to get it right now. Like, this is crazy. I want you to leave everything that you know, everything that is security, every part of your identity, every bit of your inheritance, and I'm going to take you to a land that will someday be your descendants, but you're not going to get it. Like, how many of us would do this? How many of us would trust God this much with the unknown that he is living in? And he's, a temp, he's there temporarily. He, he has no ownership, no rights as a citizen. He's living in a temporary dwelling place, tense. And he goes to this place, Canaan, and he dwells in tents, and he does not possesses, possess it. But rather, listen to this, rather he left there, he journeyed there, he dwelled in tents to live out an act of obedience. <clears throat> Not to get all the blessings. That would be his future descendants. Not to be in the land as an owner and a citizen. But he was in the land journeying, 
going from place to place in tents, not taking possession of it as an act of obedience, trusting God. So not only did he trust God to leave all that he left, but he trusts God to journey in the land without ever taking possession of it. Faith is a journey in a relationship with Jesus. And often, there's a lot of question marks and unknowns in our life. Most of you are young, right? Right? And when you're younger, young professionals, there's a lot of question marks. Like, what am I going to do? What do I want to do? Where am I going to go? How long am I going to live here? Who am I going to marry? When am I going to have kids? Like, there's a lot of question marks. There's a lot of unknowns. And then, when you get older, it doesn't change. There's peaks. There's valleys. There's a whole lot of question marks and unknowns. And we try our best as Americans to build out the security of our life and have everything determined and have all of our plans and, you know, make sure that every T is crossed and every I is dotted. But really, we learn along the way we can't control life. And if you're a follower of Jesus, the beauty about this is that as you're journeying in faith, and you realize you can't control life because there's all kinds of bends, twists, and turns in life. The beauty of that is you learn along the way that you can trust God because God has always shown himself to be faithful in my life. Even in the midst of our brokenness, even in the midst of our pain, even in the midst of all the challenges and difficulties that we are facing, God has always shown himself to be faithful and good in my life, even when life is not good. And God will do the same for you. Just as God did for Abraham. Back to Genesis 12, we'll pick up in this story. Just as God did to Abraham, as he's journeying, as he's doing what God told him to do, Genesis chapter 12, verse 4. I'll give you a second to turn there. So Abram went. He journeyed. As the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. That's his nephew. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from his homeland. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possession that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. So he did take some things with him. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Now, so he goes to this land. He's a foreigner. And the trip from Haran to Canaan is about 500 miles. That's far, right? It takes the better part of a month, even if Abraham traveled at a caravan pace, which would be about 20 miles a day, so it would take over a month. So he's on this journey, 500 miles. He's got some people and stuff with him. But he's going on this journey by faith. He knows when he gets to the land that he's still going to be in a temporary place as a temporary resident. Because the Canaanites possess the land. Who, who are the Canaanites? The Canaanites were the people that lived in the land known for 
the grossest idolatry and wickedness in the world at that time. And some people say, okay, so as Abraham's journeying and goes to this land and God gives him this promise, why such a time gap? Why didn't God immediately give him this possession? Why, why did God wait? Here's why. Genesis 15, verse 16. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Those are the people that lived in the land. So God's like, I'm being patient with these people. They are very vile and wicked. They are doing some terrible stuff. If you study the, the culture and history of the people of Canaan, like your, your mouth will just, your jaw will drop. It is sickening and vile how they lived and what they did in that land. But God was patient with them. He says, it's going to be a while. It's going to be multiple generations, fourth generation until you possess this land because I am patient with these people. And yet the people grew worse and worse in their wickedness and depravity. And so God sent his people into the land and they took possession of the land of Canaan. Notice what happens here, verse seven. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar for the Lord who happened, uh, pardon me, it's a little dark in here. To your offspring, I'll give to the land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So check this out. In verse one of chapter 12, God speaks to him. In verse seven of chapter 12, God shows his presence to him. Every step of the way, God is showing himself to be faithful. What's happening in your life? What are the questions what are the doubts? What are the unknowns? What's the brokenness residing in your heart? What's the despair, the depression, the anxieties, the challenges, the decisions you know you need to make, but they're hard to make? What is taking place in your life right now? I want to encourage you. I was praying for you guys last night, and I believe that God was going to speak to some people here today. I want to encourage you through all your brokenness, through all your question marks, through all your challenges, through whatever is taking place in your soul right now, that God is worthy of your trust. Not only is God worthy of your trust, but God loves you, which means he seeks your highest good every single day. And as Abraham is journeying by faith, he leaves by faith, he journeys by faith, God is showing himself to be speaking to him and present with him every step of the journey. Some of us need to hear that this morning. Some of us need to experience this reality to walk by faith, to step out by faith, to trust God with the unknowns in our life, to to grab our temporary tent and journey to that land, so to speak, and say, God, you've spoken to me. God, you're present with me. God, I'm going to trust you even in the unknown. I'm not saying to leave Los Angeles. I'm using the metaphor to say, whatever it is in your life today, trust God with the unknown. You don't know how everything has to turn out. I don't know how everything has to turn out, but I know that God's got my back 
And I know that he's gonna be present with me and is present with me every step of the way. Amen? Check out the last verse in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10. For he was looking forward to this city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So he's journeying in tents. He, he's a nomad. He has no place. He's left his security, his identity, his inheritance, and he's living in tents. That's supposed to conjure up a thought. Tents don't have a foundation. So he's dwelling in the temporary, he's dwelling in the unknown, and yet he was looking forward, he trusted God with the future, he was looking forward to a foundation designed and built by God. You know, when people, uh, my wife's an artist and we're, we're creative, when people um, knock in Christianity, design or creativity, to me it's a knock at the character of God. Because God is both a designer and a builder. Isn't that cool? That's the verbiage here. There's going to be a city, Abraham knew, that God was going to design and he was going to build and it would have permanent foundations and Abraham would be a citizen with all the rights and blessings of that city. But right now he was on a temporary journey just like a lot of us feel in this world. We feel like sometimes we're nomads. We feel like life is difficult and challenging and heartbreaking and we understand our brokenness and yet day by day as followers of Jesus we tr- choose to trust him with the present and trust him with our future what was this city well we know that 400 years later the people of Israel would inhabit the land They would take possession. They would experience all of the blessings. And God, the Hebrew people were the people of God. And God would bless them in the land. God would give them what he promised them. And they were to be the light to the nations around them. They weren't to be an exclusive club. They were to be a light to the nations, blessing the nations around them. Yet they too, even in the land of Canaan, the land of Israel, they too looked forward to a city that God would build. All throughout the Old Testament, even in the blessings of being in this land and being the promised people of God, they were always looking forward to a city built by the Messiah. Who's the Messiah? Jesus. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the Redeemer. Jesus is the one who takes a hold of our life, blesses us, loves us, shows his grace and his mercy and his powerful redemption. Jesus is the one who went to the cross to forgive our sins, to redeem our story, to give us a hope and a future, even in the midst of all of our brokenness, all of our failures. Jesus washes our slate clean by his blood on the cross. And he says every single day, you can trust me now, but you can also trust me for the future. Because there's a city that I've designed and I'm going to build in the future kingdom of God and all things are going to be right and all justice will be right and all things will be taken care of and all things will be all good forever and ever and ever and ever. And that is Jesus who's designing and building that city. And so we trust God. God with our future.
Faith abides in hope. God, I don't understand this. I don't understand what you're doing. I don't understand the suffering that we're going through presently. I don't understand what's next for us. God, I don't know, but yet I can hope in you and trust in you because I know that you're going to come through for me. You know, there, there, there's a saying in Christianity right now, and you know, it's kind of trite and maybe a little corny sometimes, but there's a lot of truth to it in this context. The best is yet to come. Abraham knew that the best was yet to come. I know because of Jesus, who's designing and building the city, has saved and redeemed my life, and is with me every step of the way, I know the best is yet to come. Our future is looking good. Say that. Say that with me. My future is looking good. My, my present might be confusing. My present might be difficulty, but my future is looking good. And so if we're going to take that phrase that, have you heard that phrase, the best yet come? Anybody in here? If we're going to take that phrase in the context of this uh, verse, it's true. The best is yet to come. We believe God for our future. We trust in Jesus. Maybe some of you this morning have never trusted in Jesus. You're here because somebody invited you, because your friend came. I want to encourage you to consider Jesus today. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ is the savior of the world. He lived a perfect life. He died an innocent death at the hands of guilty people. We have failed, we have wandered, we are broken people, we need help, we need hope, we need Jesus, we need somebody to take the darkness in our life and turn it into life, we need somebody to take the mistakes that we, can, that we often are haunted by in our soul and say, you have a new start, you are forgiven for all of those things, and that person who does that is Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to consider putting your faith in Jesus Christ today and walking by faith from here forward, trusting him, growing in a relationship with him because faith is a relationship each step of the way, even when your life is hard.